This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This episode is sponsored by The Latte Co. If you follow me on social media, you'll know that I make Milo smoothies all the time and I'm always putting a powder in them. That powder is created by The Latte Co. It is 100% plant-based. They have a baby latte, which is for 12 months and up, and then a kiddo latte, which is what Milo is using right now, which is for 24 months and up. You can put the powder in just water, you can put it in smoothies, you can even throw it in baking. It's made with organic, whole food ingredients, it contains more calcium than cow's milk, has a huge range of vitamins and minerals, it is gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and it is nut-free. I'll just read off some of the ingredients here. So hemp hearts, pea protein powder, grinded flax seeds, beetroot, green cabbage, kale, broccoli, tomato, pumpkin. I mean, it goes on and on. I consider this stuff my secret weapon and it's so nice to give Milo a smoothie that has this powder in it and I know that he's getting a bunch of nutrition. The awesome people at The Latte Co. would like to give you guys 10% off and free shipping on your first order with the promo code THEMOMROOM10. You can find the link in the episode notes or you can simply go to thelatteco.com. I cannot recommend this stuff enough. So remember, it is promo code THEMOMROOM10 for a 10% discount and free shipping. www.thelatteco.com All right, so today I am talking with Kate Roddy, who is a sport and public floor physiotherapist in Toronto, right? Yeah. Yes. So today we're actually talking about returning to sex after baby, which is a hot topic. And uh, But first, before we get into that, I thought you could tell us a little bit about yourself and why you got into pelvic floor physio and why you're so passionate about preventative care for women. Sure. So um, I bas- I've been a sports physiotherapist for 15, 16 years now. And then I had children and they kind of did a number on my undercarriage. And <laughs> yeah, I sort of, I think what I've done is I've taken my sports physiotherapy approach in that, you know, like when someone has a knee surgery and we're returning them to their sport, it's like an 18 page document with like the most detailed of care And I mean, I have treated professional athletes. I know what these things look like. And I know the level of care that we need to take so that they can go back to making $400 million a year. (laughs) And then we have a mom who goes through this crazy pregnancy. There's a lot of disruption to our musculoskeletal body. And we just were kind of like given the thoughts and prayers. And Mm. I sort of thought, wow, we could really apply a lot more here. And so there was a little bit of interest. And then um, I actually did a sex study and I was a part of that. And then I kind of said, okay, look, maybe I'll just do all my courses and we'll see where this leads. And it's actually been like the greatest decision I've ever done. So So you were a participant in a sex study? I was actually um, put in charge of a pilot study to lead for enhancing orgasms. Um, Ah. And so I'm not going to go through all the details, but um, yeah, I was put in charge of basically designing a pilot study on how we would administer a certain treatment. And it was uh, really interesting. So I then did all of my courses after the fact. Yeah. Um, and then I got into pelvic physio. So I learned a lot about sex doing all of that. I did a lot of my own research. And then again, what we apply, like women are just told to wait. And I was like, oh my God, I would never tell any of my athletes just wait. Mm. Like, oh, you can't, you can't run now. It hurts. Yeah. Okay. Just wait so longer. Wait, like wait a little bit longer. Yeah. That doesn't, that's not an approach and it's definitely not rehab. So yeah, I also feel like some of the issues that women have post birth, there's almost like a shame put around it. And a lot of women don't even want to talk about it or seek treatment, obviously, and shame. And also at the same time, this, this attitude of this is normal. And this is just what happens after you have kids, which is 
not the case. Like if we were putting the effort in that we give to athletes, let's say there's no reason why we can't fully recover and have like, go back to our quality of life that we had before giving birth. Absolutely. My sort of like niche before uh, pelvic was um, actually post-surgical orthopedic cases. So like knee reconstructions, ankle reconstructions, the more hardware for me, like the more I enjoyed it. And I don't think I've had or let a single patient ever continue with a limp, right? Like I've had orthopedic surgeons say, you may always walk with a limp. And my attitude is like, like hell you are right? Mm. And that's kind of the same attitude I now take with women with their sort of postpartum care is, well, I might always do that. No, let's, let's find a little bit more like our bodies are so adaptable and they are tremendous at healing themselves. So long as we have the right Avenue and not everyone gets shown what that Avenue is. And that's really where I want to change things, right? Give every woman an Avenue for rehab. Right. To get into the sex topic, obviously, when it comes to pelvic floor and after giving birth, there's a ton of topics that we could talk about. But today we're specifically talking about returning to sex. And I'm assuming that the number one complaint women have post giving birth, uh, especially vaginally, would be pain to return to sex. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, what I'm going to say is I'll stay in my lane, right? Because I am going to talk a lot about the physical things that we can do directly to our perineum. And we know that returning to sex has a whole myriad of different factors, right? There's your hormone levels, there's your psychological sort of just mm. like where you feel in terms of your sort of like mental well-being after birth, especially with having the baby dependent on, we know all the things, right? Like you don't like to be touched. And really what we wanna do though today is talk about how we can prep our perineum. And we don't really often feel like sex and that's fine and that's common and and that's, that's okay. But all of a sudden you may have that one night where like they cooked an amazing steak, there was a glass of wine, right? The rom-com was hilarious and made you feel so great and romantic. And all of a sudden you feel like sex and like you want to jump on that so quickly, but you haven't done any of the preparation. And this is the same. If we go back to the athlete, they don't feel like running because their knee really hurts after surgery, but that doesn't mean that we don't do the rehab for it. Right. We have to rehab it to get it to a point that you can have pain-free walking. And then if you do want to go for a bike or a jog, I am responsible for making sure that you have the strength and mobility to do that. So that's what we're doing here is whether you feel like it or not, prepare your perineum so that when you do have the magic night and he just looks so great all of a sudden, okay, and he's not annoying you, that like you've done all the steps so that that first time is not painful. Yeah. Because that's where we get into a really bad cycle, right? If the first time's painful, then we take that into the next time. And when we anticipate and have anxiety over whether something's going to hurt, we absolutely go into a central nervous system of guarding and protecting. Mm. And if we're guarding and protecting our vaginas, it's going to clamp down and not feel so great. Yeah. And that would be incredibly frustrating too, you know, because I think you know, you're waiting for that, like, oh, when are we going to have sex again? You don't really know because the trauma that has gone on down there. And then finally you get to that point where you're like, oh yeah, like, I think I'm ready. And then it's super painful. That would be so frustrating. And like you said, it's just a vicious cycle from there. I wondered if before we get into the five steps, if you could just talk a little bit about the six week checkup, because I feel like a lot of people are waiting for that six week checkup with their physician to kind of say everything's good to go. And then I think people like it's implied that, okay, now you can return to sex, which I hate this, this idea because then it puts almost like a pressure on you. It's like, well, my doctor gave me the okay. So can you speak a little bit about that? Yep. Look, the six week mark is really the, the time in which a normal injured body part will take to heal. Okay. So in this instance, we're talking about the uterus and the uterus is basically an open wound. And so we don't allow anything to be inserted for risk of infection. Okay. Someone has a knee surgery. We are keeping that skin incision 
closed and really, really safe so that there's no risk of infection. So six weeks is just the minimum healing time with which we are not worried about infection. So that's what we're sort of talking about at this six week mark where we're like, yes, theoretically, you no longer have a risk of infection. Does that mean that your perineum, your vagina is ready to have penetrative intercourse? Not necessarily. If we haven't done anything for it, I don't know why we would assume that it's ready. Mm. And again, going back to the knee surgery, do I allow any of my patients to run at the six week mark? 95%? No way. Not unless we've hit other criteria. And that's what the five-step protocol is about is it's giving women definitive criteria that if you can do this, then you can go to the next step. If you can do this, you get to go to the next step. And then really the sixth step is the intercourse, right? Mm -hmm. Because you've done all the other steps, which sort of gives you that clearance and that confidence that like, I think this is going to be okay because I have now empowered myself to make sure of it. So six weeks is really like a minimum healing time and that's it. And that's what we need to start educating women on is it's not really a clearance to have sex. It's just that you no longer have a risk of infection. Right. I I guess it's starting to get better, but like, I wish all this stuff was just all the information was given to us, but it's really, it's not. Right. And I mean, think about how old Milo is. You only had a baby how long ago and did you have this information? I'm lucky. I know. Caveat, caveat. Yeah, I am lucky. And yes, I, cause I saw a pelvic floor physio when I was pregnant and my friend happened to be a physio. My husband's a urologist. And I'm also the type of person that will research the shit out of everything. So did I still do all the stuff that I could have done? No, but I probably did more than the average person. But what I found infuriating was that, you know, I would talk about these things online and so many women who had had multiple babies or who were pregnant had no idea, like what's a pelvic floor physio, you know, like I still get those comments on TikTok and I'm like, oh my God, there's so much um, education to be done and hopefully changes in what the standard of care is for women. And thanks for contributing to that change. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals, so you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding, and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. 
The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like pot stickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right, the quality is unmatched, you are going to love it, and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. So the five steps uh, before returning to sex. I looked at the five steps and the first one was to take a look, okay? And to be honest, I did not look for a long time because I could feel it. Like when I would go pee and I would wipe, I could feel how swollen it was, like unbelievably swollen. And I think so much focus is put on bleeding after giving birth. And nobody, I had never heard anyone say how swollen it is down there or how swollen it can be. So I didn't look for a long time, but why why is that important? <laughs> right, so the take a look, and I'm gonna bring it up and we sort of discussed this, but um, it's the 20 year anniversary or something about Sex in the City, they're making a reboot. And I only watched Sex in the City as a 40 year old and I was blown away. And in 2001, there was an episode where Charlotte actually gets vulvodynia. Like they talked about this 20 years ago and it just seemed to go right over our heads. And the one thing that the gynecologist told her to do is take a mirror and take a look. And I think that we are so not conditioned in even still 2021 society to sort of take a look at our genitals. And ours are a little more internal. So it's a lot harder than say our boys. Um, I have a son, I have a daughter, my son yanks his penis and shows it all the time and like would skip rope with it. My daughter, you know, she sort of like pulled labias apart. My husband immediately was like, what is she doing? Stop. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, like this is, we're still living in the stigma, even given what I do for a living. So the whole take a look is that we need to monitor change. So I would even advocate taking a look, like if you find out you're pregnant, take a look at your vagina, take a look Mm. at your vulva, see what that looks like. So that when you do get to 36 weeks, what happens in our pelvic floor is that we're not draining all of the extra swelling as well. And it's because there's a lot of pressure that baby's putting a lot of pressure on our pelvic floor. And so when I assess women at about 32, 33 weeks, it's, it is quite swollen. So then you can really appreciate the change from even day one to 36 weeks, but then you don't need to look in the first six weeks. My best friend said, don't look, you don't want to look, but after six weeks, it is good to check in, right? Mm. Maybe you have stopped bleeding. If you're queasy, don't do it. You don't need to faint, but it is something to just sort of look because maybe it is still really swollen. Maybe you've noticed some redness, Maybe you're living in a pandemic and you didn't have a one-on-one in-person appointment with your birth provider. So all the more reason to take a look at yourself. You may notice that if you have a small tear, it still does look a little bit angry or red, right? All of those signs are going to let you know, good chance sex is not going to feel good, Mm. right? Because those are all kind of angry, irritated, inflamed symptoms. And we want to just, that's our first thing is look at the site. Yeah. So that's really about taking a mirror and knowing the difference between before and after. Yeah. It makes me think of, I have moles on my back and I always get them checked by a dermatologist every year. And that's one of the things they always say, take a picture of it so that you have it and date it. And then, you know, in a year from now, when we check you again, we're going to see if it's changed. Would I ever think to do that to my vagina? No. (laughs) No. And I would say in this day and age with like wrong things being forwarded, don't take a picture. Just take a look. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to get uploaded to the cloud and then uh, who knows? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Okay. So the second step was external light touch. 
Yeah. So you're just taking your fingertip and you're basically just running down all of your external parts of your vulva. So that's your labias. I would do your labia majoras. That's more of the external. And then the folds on the inside, which is your labia minora. Even give those a little like pull and a, even like not a pinch, but just like a light pressure so that you know how all this tissue is functioning go down either side go all the way down almost to like where your butt cheeks meet because there's a lot of there's those are muscles right mm -hmm. and they haven't been used for a while and if that light touch to all around the entrance of your vaginal opening isn't feeling so great just with your own fingertip, penetrative intercourse is not gonna feel good. And so the more we touch things, right? And think about when you first went to wipe. It's like you take the piece of toilet paper and this is after you've used your peri bottle and sprayed it all down and you like dab it. You are mm. so afraid to touch. And then over time, the more you sort of touch the area, the more you're like, okay, this is okay. I can now withstand touch, okay? So it's really important to desensitize. And what we mean by desensitize is that your that part of your body is on guard. It does not want to go through labor anytime soon again. And it's basically acting as a huge protective mechanism. And so it's sort of any little bit of touch is going to alarm it. And so the more we make it familiar that we're not trying to harm, then your nerves start to settle down. And that's really important for just touch, but also it'll settle down the resting tension of your pelvic floor. And resting tension is really important because if you're going to receive in penetrative intercourse, those muscles can't be clamping shut, right? Mm. So the more we can touch, the better we are desensitizing those nerves. Yeah. The next one is, and when, just as a, like, when would someone start the external light touch? Like as soon as possible or? No, I would, I would like, this is where I'm okay with women having their six weeks, right? Just let things heal. We wouldn't okay. be doing this to any scar or any incision site. So if we go back to the, like, you know, the knee surgery, I'm not trying to do light touch all around their scar in the first six weeks. I'm waiting for basically the incision to look clean. So the scab has fallen off. I'm looking for swelling to come down. So I'm not trying to do any of that in my first six weeks. Okay. So I don't think women need to do this. So six weeks, we've passed our, our risk of infection. And now we can sort of start preparing that area and rehabbing it. Okay. And these are like sequential, right? So it's like one, yes. two. Okay. So the third yeah. one is internal touch and pull. So what yeah. does that look like? So you're basically going to take your finger or any pelvic wand. Okay. And if you can just hook around the entrance and then you're just starting to give it a little bit of a pull. So if you're familiar with doing perineal massage to prep your pelvic floor for birth, then ultimately that's what you're starting to do in a very light way. Perineal massage to prep for pregnancy is really starting to put a lot of stretch on that tissue. We don't have the same goals after birth. Our goals after are just really to massage. It's almost like a relaxation massage more than anything. Mm. So you can start to just insert your finger and then you may pull at some of the skin tissue all around the entrance, okay? Or you might be able to just even hook a thumb in and then give it a little bit of a pull. But you're trying to see what that feels like, right? Because there will be stretch and pressure with penetrative intercourse. Right. And if we don't ready that area for that with our own touch, our partner is going to feel a little bit alarming. Okay? Yeah. When we're doing things ourselves, we have the biofeedback, right? Yeah. Um, scar tissue desensitization, which I probably, well, you're going to explain it, but if I had anything that was kind of long lasting when it came to having sex after giving birth, I'm assuming it was scar tissue issues because it was almost like a, it wasn't like a muscular pain. It was almost like a sharp, you know, like a pinch. pull. Yes, yes, yes. Like a pinch. pinch. Yeah. yeah. 
So scar tissue has different sensations and some of those, especially when we're unfamiliar with touch and pressure and stretch down in our undercarriage, some of those sensations can feel quite alarming and they can, a lot of the time we immediately think damage and that's not at all what it is. And so again, that's also why we wait till six weeks is because if you did have any minor tear or major tear, that's going to allow the tissue to heal so that by the time we do get to step four, we are really confident that the structural integrity of that tissue is going to hold. I have so many women report to me, they're like, but do you think I'm going to tear again if I do this? And the answer is no, that tissue has healed. You'd have to be doing a real number on yourself (laughs) for you to sort of like reproduce a tear in that same spot. But that is why we need to still do the first three steps, right? If you did step one and you took a look and that tear still doesn't look like it's healed, you are not going to step four. Right. So that's why it's really important for the sequence. And so step four is really like, unfortunately, you did have a tear, right? Baby's head, it put a little bit of pressure where it shouldn't have. Okay. And remember, I had the 11 and a half pound baby. So like, I know. So that scar needs to be desensitized even more so. Okay. Scar tissue has a structural integrity that is really strong. It doesn't have a lot of elastin. It has a lot more sort of tissue that is going to mold together so it never tears there again. But that doesn't feel so great. When we don't have a lot of elastin, we don't have the stretch factor. So then you've got tissue on either side of it that is pulling on something Mm. that doesn't want to stretch. And so it's not that we're trying to get stretch in that area. We're just trying to desensitize the nerves such that those nerves don't think that it's going to tear again. And that's what that pinchy feeling. Some people will even say it feels like burning. Mm. Um, some people will feel like almost like a tingle to it. So it's got a different feeling, right? Connective tissue does that. And, and there's good reason for that, right? It's like when we break a bone, it heals, you know, theoretically harder than what it did before. And it is an overprotective mechanism that the body employs, which is a good thing, right? Yeah. We don't want to injure that area again. And that's why how we heal. And so the scar is you're going to find that scar and you're going to put extra pressure. You can use like oscillating type moves, right? Maybe you just swivel with your thumb back and forth on it. Um, pelvic wands, you can do the same thing. So all of those are really important to sort of like work on that scar tissue. Don't assume that every time you do have penetrative intercourse, it's going to get better and better because Sometimes the penetrative intercourse, if we're not using all of our communication skills, or maybe it went too fast, or maybe the position we chose wasn't the best angle for that scar, that's when we get into the protective mechanisms we sort of talked about at the very beginning. With that first time painful, your body is going to respond whether you like it or not. Our pelvic floor is controlled by our central nervous system, which responds innately to anxiety, stress, fear, very high emotional sort of reactions. Okay. So if all of those are playing a part, because the first time was painful, we need to downregulate that. And the more we touch the scar, the less it will sort of react negatively with penetrative intercourse. This episode is brought to you by GroCo. You guys know that I am obsessed with the pelvic floor and I am obsessed with postpartum recovery. And postpartum recovery does not stop at the six week mark. It continues for a lifetime. For me, I did not notice any issues down there until Milo was about 18 months old. I started to notice that if I was holding my pee and I had a full bladder and I sneezed, I would leak. When I would do a TikTok dance too hard in my kitchen, I would leak. I also started to develop really bad lower back pain that didn't feel like a typical sore back. I saw a pelvic floor physio and I started doing the GroCo classes and I am happy to report that I am not leaking and my low back pain is gone. I had no idea that low back pain could be a result of a tight pelvic floor and leaking too. I think we often assume that if you're leaking, you're weak down there, but that was not the case for me. I was too tight and I needed to learn how to relax those muscles. And these are all things plus so, so, so much more that you will learn as a member of GroCo Postnatal Rehab. The GroCo methodology is aimed at preventing, reducing, and resolving symptoms women have been made to think are an inevitable consequence of childbirth. 
classes stream 24-7, so you're able to do them whenever it works best for you. There's also a weekly live class with a GrowCo doctor and also a monthly master class. The next program starts February 9th and there's 15 spots available. You will work for 10 weeks in small groups with a GroCo postnatal doctor and you'll also have lifetime access to GroCo Fitness and Rehab Studio online. You can save $100 on your lifetime membership to GroCo right now by clicking the link in the episode notes. Your pelvic floor will thank you. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. And so this is just a, like, I'm just curious, people that have a tear from giving birth and then it develops the scar tissue, is it likely that when they give birth a second time vaginally that it will tear in the same location or is it just completely random? The incidence of tears in the exact same location, it's sort of like, um, like Achilles can tear. You can have calf tears are really quite common. And I think the idea is that you would tear right above or below Mm. the previous site, right? So the scar tissue itself, pretty good chance it holds, but there are circumstances where it's the tissue right below it. So it looks like it's actually tearing from the same point, but it's the tissue that still has the elastin that is going to tear. So, and then it all depends, right? If the baby was skewed this way with the shoulders rotated up or to the left, I mean, it's hard to say. I don't know specifically the incidence of where a second tear could happen. Right. What else was I going to ask? Oh yeah. The, the site where the scar tissue is built up, if you're treating it like with a massage or whatever, does it get softer? It can. Yeah. I think the misnomer here is that we think we can break down scar tissue. Ah, yes. That's what I always hear. Yeah. Yeah. Let's break down scar tissue. It doesn't quite work like that. So the way I like to think about it is that I'm taking this really newly laid down scar tissue that wants to be as strong as it can And I'm trying to promote a little bit more pliability in that. Mm. And there's some physiological science that says, well, maybe I'm just massaging the muscle around that scar tissue because it's holding really rigidly to protect the site. Or maybe it is I am getting some pliability within that connective tissue, right? There's schools of thought that says, nah, you can't. And then there's schools of thought that says, yeah, you can. And I mean, I have felt like even C-sections, right? Mm -hmm. We know we can soften up some of those scars. So there is a little bit of give that the tissue will always have over time. Because when people tear, which I just realized this not too long ago, actually, I think I always assumed the tear was on visible from the outside, but tears can be very, very deep inside as well. So to get to those areas... I'm assuming that's where something like the wand would come in really handy because you might like, it might not be, it might be uncomfortable to try and do it with your, with your fingers. Yeah. And so that's where really, so very deep internal scars, that's where I really would recommend a pelvic floor physio, right? Because a, we need to make sure that those have fully healed internally because we can get tears on the inside 
from vaginal to rectal, right? And those are the ones we have to be really, really careful about. So I would not recommend if those are happening, you're gonna definitely see a pelvic physio. And then it may need a little bit more of a deeper approach with a pelvic floor wand, but also like a pelvic floor wand can really be um, of assistance just for the reach. A lot of people feel like that angle to get down there get the angle, get the leverage is a little bit difficult, but then also that little bit deeper, right? It's not just the skin that can tear. If we have our second or third degree tear, we're getting into some muscle. And that's where, yes, the scar is just in like, say that first centimeter or two of the muscle, but there's a whole muscle that attaches from basically front to back, likely to your tailbone. And anywhere along that muscle, it could be holding tension, protecting the small, tiny tear. So it's not just right at the entrance. And that's where getting, you know, if you've been cleared of any deeper internal sort of tears, then you still want to get a little bit deeper onto some of those muscles and and pelvic floor physio can definitely help teach you how to do that. Yeah. I have really bad wrists and I remember doing perineal massage on myself when I was pregnant and I was like, oh my God, this is killing me. Well, and look, that's why I designed the pelvic floor one that I did um, is that like, it was just not realistic at nine months pregnant with an 11 and a half pound baby. I was as big as a house. I could not reach. I could barely reach to wipe. And so when they were like, yeah, you just stick your fingers. I'm like, there's no way there's no (laughs) angle that I could do that in, um, without like putting some vulnerability to my low back. And then, you know, they, they say, have your partner do it. And, you know, you've touched on the biofeedback of us using our own hands. And that is really, really important. And I think we underestimate how that biofeedback is an asset. And when someone else is doing it, myself included, super trained to do perineal massage for someone else, but unless they are giving me like verbal feedback the whole time, like I'm at a nine out of 10, I'm at a seven out of 10, this is feeling like this, I may all of a sudden put too much pressure that they would normally not tolerate. And then immediately now their central nervous system has kicked in and now I have guarding, Hmm. right? As much as they trust me, as much as they know, I know what I'm doing. Their body immediately was like, that was too much pain for us. And now we don't like her. Yeah. We're now on guard and now our whole process has become counterintuitive. So when we do it ourselves, and that's why the public wands are great because we have a lot more reach, we have a lot more control, and we can use a lot more like massage techniques because of that extra reach, which is really important to sort of tone everything down. Mm-hmm. It should be like the hospital gifts or like OBGYNs gift all the pregnant ladies a, a pelvic wand. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. When we get out of this whole like COVID thing and there's some <laughs> yeah. money left, yeah, we'll, just, exactly. we'll just work on it. okay so the last one is own your o which i'm assuming means orgasm um so what what do you mean by that so an orgasm is basically the involuntary contractions nerve stimulation to and lots of blood flow to a point where we climax and so orgasms are fantastic for pelvic floor healing because you are getting so much blood flow and muscle pump when we talk about swelling right one way to get rid of swelling is to increase your blood flow you can do this through massage or you can do it through muscle contraction so you know when you're on a plane and they tell you to do the foot pumps to keep the blood flowing in your calves so it's not stagnant that's what we need to do with our pelvic floor. So even in the first six weeks, one thing I will advocate in the first six weeks is do your Kegels, your pelvic floor contractions. But the reason why you're doing them is not to get the strength back. But why we want to do them then is because any muscle pump and contraction is going to get blood flow going. And that's going to help your swelling tremendously. So then if we take it to the other end, we've gone through steps one through four. We're now at the point where we want to sort of like clean the pipes. So now we're going to get those muscles working to such an extent that we're seeing how an orgasm would feel. Some women will still complain of residual muscle soreness, or there's a bit of an ache or a pain there. And that's always a bit of an indicator of maybe the muscles aren't quite ready then for penetrative intercourse. We don't sort of assume that sex is a workout. It's a 
fantastic workout for our pelvic floor and like I mean like I've been married too long so like back-to-back sex nights don't really happen anymore (laughs) but if we remember from our youth when like we all kind of did it like rabbits when you would have back-to-back sex the second time you were kind of like ooh, bit tight right and that's like basically doing a squat workout and your legs being a bit tight and sore the next day they are still in recovery mode from the previous workout And so having an orgasm is this great little workout where you get to test the whole system and it's great for blood flow and it lets you know where you're at. And also it's tremendously confident boosting. No one wrote anywhere that they have to have the first orgasm after birth. Okay. We are allowed. We can (laughs) gift that to ourselves. And yeah, if I have one, it also puts you in the mood, which is great because if you can get yourself into the mood with an orgasm, then that's going to help your arousal state. Arousal state's always going to help your lubrication. And that's a sort of like a really sticky point with postpartum because of our hormones. Dehydration is a huge thing because we may be nursing. So having that orgasm is such a tremendous little like self-starter to the next step. What about, let's say someone had a baby a year ago and they're still having pain. Where, where would they start like in, in these five steps or what would you recommend to them? All of them. Start okay. with step one and still go through step one to step five. And maybe you've already had some orgasms and that's fantastic, right? So you already know that that's clear. The orgasm one I just put last, for the most part, women, the majority of us actually, a lot of research supports that most of us that reach climax through clitoral stimulation and not necessarily penetrative or sort of that G-spot, the elusive G-spot. So you may have already skipped to that and that's totally fine, right? But if you are having problems with the penetrative part and you know that there's like that one one spot, then go back through the touch part, find that spot on yourself externally and then sort of like pull on it, do some of the massage techniques on it. The more you do, the more your body will become familiar to that touch. When we have that painful experience, we don't jump back in the saddle two days later, right? We usually leave it for a whole bunch of weeks thinking that rest Mm -hmm. is going to make it better. And I see this all the time in my sports practices. They're like, I went for a run, my knee hurt. So I didn't run for six weeks. Then I try to run again and it still hurt. And I'm like, well, you didn't do anything to the actual physical structure. So no kidding, it's going to still hurt. So that's why I still take those like the the second, third and fourth one, still do those three steps. I mean, you can take a mirror sometimes just looking to see that there's no damage is really reassuring to people because they have no idea. They assume a lot of things are going on down there that aren't going on at all. And if they just took a look, it would put their minds at ease. Yeah. It's interesting when I think about, you know, if some body part of mine is sore, I'm all about like, you know, doing the yoga tune-up balls, foam rolling. But yeah, if, if I have sex and then I'm sore the next day, I'm like, well, can't touch down there for weeks, but you're right in that it should be a similar approach. But for some reason, it's this barrier mentally. It's like, okay, we have to let it calm down as opposed to, well, no, maybe it's really tight and you need to work it, work it. Yeah. Yeah, Work it. it, (laughs) And one thing I'm going to, I just want to differentiate because I don't think I have yet is that sometimes we can have pain on penetration and that's really at the vaginal opening. And so I often ask my patients, um, is it painful when you first start and then it gets better? And a lot of that time, a lot of the time that's true. And why that's really reassuring is that it means that your muscles are a little bit on guard to start, but it has an accommodation period. So usually what I recommend is speak to your partner, make sure that maybe you need an extra 30 seconds where they're just inside and your muscles are just sort of getting used to it. And like you're whispering sweet nothings and you're sexy talking and doing everything else so that, you know, nothing like disappears. But these are the things that we kind of need to do to allow those muscles to accommodate. The more we do that, the more familiar our pelvic floor is going to become with uh, penetrative intercourse. But if we sort of like get right into it and don't have that accommodation, it's just going to guard more. So that's vaginal entrance, okay? There are times where women say, no, penetration's fine. It's like this deeper pain. That's when we want to see a pelvic physio. The deeper stuff 
can be a number of things. I, I won't go through all of them today, but if you're having the deeper pain, that's something, and it's nothing, it may be nothing to be alarmed about, but it's something that you want to have investigated a little bit further so that we can differentiate a couple other things for you. Even for me right now, Milo's almost two and a half. It takes a little while. It's not just like, oh, like we're it. No, it's slowly. And yeah, I still have Mm -hmm. that. And it's like you said, it's just on the opening. And then after Mm -hmm. 30 seconds or like a minute or whatever, once it's fully in, this is such a fun conversation. Um, (laughs) then it's fine. Then it goes away, but it's like that initial, it takes a while. And I think it's important to not be shy and just say this is what's going on like we have to go slow and I think sometimes people would be uncomfortable to say that but it's important look it's going to be and it's going to be fun for both parties if you take that extra time yes because no one wants it's just not fun to be sitting there rigidly um (laughs) and we want both parties always to be feeling the pleasure of it if we're going to engage in it and also we, we haven't touched on lubrication is so important and that's such a big factor. So lube it up, right? Uh-huh. Like don't assume that you're going to be fine because you'll get halfway through and go, oh my God, this is like sandpaper. So use the lube regardless when you first get going. There's a hormonal factor here. And then the one that we don't think about is that like baby's getting all of your fluids. Women are perpetually dehydrated if we are nursing. Mm. We don't realize how much fluid is going towards milk production and how little we're taking. And if we upped our hydration levels a lot more, that's going to help with some hormone health, but it's also going to help with lubrication. But until that regulates a little bit more, which we may not see for a while, given where people are at with nursing, lube, tons of lube, just use it. Okay. Remember... Oil-based lubes are not good with condoms. So if you're trying not to have a second kid, don't do the oil-based, okay? You want to do the water-based. So do all of your research on lubes to know what's best for you for the desired effect. Awesome. I like that. Lube. Lube it up. Lube. I wanted you to tell us about the wand that you develop. Um, Okay, so I designed a premium pelvic floor wand. It's casted out of surgical grade stainless steel. And there's a reason why we I chose that material. And first thing is you can sterilize it. Sex toys um, over time don't really have the best shelf life, right? Especially silicone if it's sitting in your, you know, underwear drawer collecting fur. I've had them, I've seen them. I'm like, ew, gross. So surgical grade stainless steel, it's never going to do anything, right? It's an amazing material. The other reason why I chose it is that it has amazing thermal dynamics. So if you want to calm a muscle down, that warm heat feels amazing. And so you can warm it up under warm water to sort of a desired temperature that is safe. Some women who that puffiness that you're talking about, like feeling swollen, sometimes the warmth is not feeling great. It feels a bit more irritating. So you can like run it under cold water, cool it off. And that can feel really soothing for women, especially if that tissue still feels a bit angry it's dual ended so it's got one size at one end a larger size at the other it is designed to do perineal massage for women preparing for birth but I made it so that this is a lifetime product you don't need another pelvic floor wand ever um, because you can always re-sterilize it you can always do anything with it and it keeps really nicely but pelvic floor health doesn't stop you know once we've had our kids Pelvic floor health, just like the strength of our legs, the strength of our core, the strength of our arms is something that we need to maintain for life, right? We don't just stop using our legs and assume, all right, wheelchair it is for me, Mm. right? But women sort of get to that point like, all right, okay, I guess maybe I'll always leak or I'll always do, you know, maybe I, I will end up in diapers. Like we have this like, like fait accompli attitude towards our pelvic health and we don't do that with our legs. Um, even the other parallel I always is how we take care of our teeth. Mm-hmm. Our teeth we have for life. My God, like I floss every night. <laughs> and it's like without fail, I do that. And if I don't do it, like there's shame. Like you don't floss. Yeah. Right. Imagine we looked at our pelvic floor with the same attitude we look towards our health, our oral hygiene. 
pelvic hygiene needs to have the same level of responsibility and accountability so that like we put depends out of business. Yeah. It's called Kegel Release Curve. Uh, you can find it on our website, um, krcurve.com or kegelreleasecurve.com. Uh, we launched only this year, so we had big plans to be in stores and we halted all of them because no stores are open. Mm. So we're pretty happy with um, not doing that, but it will, uh, we want to get it into baby stores and have it as sort of like the gift that you get your pregnant friend because you know better and one vagina saves another. Yeah. So the gift that keeps giving. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But don't share it. No, don't share don't it. Share it. <laughs> Uh, all right. So all the links, uh, to the Kegel release curve, I'm going to put in the episode notes so people can find it easily. Are there any other resources with regard to pelvic floor that you would recommend for women who wanted to learn more about it? It could be like anything, like, have you seen like documentaries, read books or Instagram accounts, anything like that? Yeah, there, there's a, there's a, at least a top 10 Instagram accounts that I follow. So I will share those with you and you can throw those in the notes so that women have that. I mean, look, as silly as it is, the goop episode on sex was actually done well in the sense that it really promoted exploration. And I am all about that. So there was a couple of things that I was like, eh, that's not accurate, but it's not inaccurate enough that I think it'll send women astray. So I, I enjoyed the goop episode. I thought I was going to hate it. And, you know, reluctantly, I'm going to say they did it well. And then uh, on our website, there's a lot of resources as to like why you need the KR curve, some of the conditions. So there's definitely some education on that. Um, but I mean, like Instagram is the new like encyclopedia, right? Mm. There are some tremendous educational accounts that are just brilliantly done and um, really take a, uh, an evidence-based approach to the, um, the information they're trying to d- uh, disseminate. Yeah. Yeah. And it's becoming more, more of like an open topic that people talk about and post about. Are you on TikTok? I'm not on TikTok. Um, I like just did Pinterest yesterday. So <laughs> today's post on our Instagram account is actually asking it what people want to see more of. And I asked the question, do you want to see us on this reels thing, singing and dancing for you? So we'll see. I might, I might end up having to do it. Yeah. Well, uh, as soon as I get a social media team together where I'm not doing these because yeah. I don't really flourish on camera, so it's not my thing, but I will do it if it's for the greater good. Yeah, right. We, we need this in our lives. Sex in the City is starting again. Just got to point that out again. Um, where can people find you? What's your Instagram account? I'm going to list everything in the episode notes, but yeah, just so people sure. know. Yeah, I am Kate Roddy underscore six, the number IX uh, physio. I have a clinic uh, in Toronto that I do pelvic health at. It's got two locations. So for our Toronto-based viewers, I'm in Forest Hill and I'm in Riverside. And my clinic is called Fixed Physio uh, and Cairo. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking about sex with me today. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Our husbands are thrilled. Yeah, exactly. I know. I always ask my husband, do you listen to my episodes? And he's like, he doesn't. And I'm like, okay, let's see if he listens to this one. He's probably going to be like, what are they talking about? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Was my performance rated? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. This was great, Renee. Thanks. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. Well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship topics. Yeah, like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. (laughs) Ha ha ha.